Our Winnipeg Blue Bombers will compete this afternoon for the Grey Cup. And this was probably the first logo that the Bombers had, the Winnipeg Football Club. Uh, it does have some gravitas, doesn't it? Uh, commerce, prudence, industry. A lot better than, let's score more points than the other guys. It's a great logo. I do hope the Bombers are victorious as they leave the field this afternoon, because it's been a long time, almost 30 years, since they last brought home the Grey Cup. Now on to the work at hand. I want our exploration of Jonah 4 to begin by thinking a moment about two words, justice and mercy. As together, the, these two words form a theme that runs throughout the whole book of, of Jonah. It's been a part of our worship today. The choir sang about God's mercy, and we just sang a song ourselves about God's mercy in this last song. Justice involves getting what someone deserves, usually some sort of punishment. Mercy feels more like getting off the hook, feels like escaping the consequences, the ultimate get-out-of-jail card for those of you who play Monopoly. An article published this last summer in the Winnipeg Sun began, it's been said that a young man screams for justice and an old man pleads for mercy. Quoting another journalist who commented that justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Moving through our lives, if we have any self-awareness at all, we become aware of the many ways that we've missed the mark, that we've sinned, for that's what the word sin means, missing the mark. And we feel the weight accumulating in our lives of the justice that is due us. But of course, we much prefer mercy. We would much rather have that than justice. Old men plead for mercy, at least for themselves. However, when it comes to some other person, especially someone who has done something particularly pernicious or heinous, uh, we're often more inclined to want justice. We want them to get what they deserve, the punishment that they deserve. If you doubt that, just spend even a little bit of time listening to talk radio, and you'll hear that over and over and over again. Give them what they deserve. Now, this tension between justice and mercy fills the book of Jonah. When we see the prophet in chapter 4, he's enraged because the bad guys, Israel's enemies, weren't apparently going to get the punishment that they deserved. He wanted justice, not mercy. It's not a particularly pretty story. Our focus the next few minutes will be on God's response to this angry prophet. But first, let's remember how Jonah ended up on a hill outside of Nineveh in a state of rage. The book begins with, Jonah, with God's marching orders to Jonah the prophet, get up and go to that great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Jonah wasn't interested in this assignment for reasons he explains in chapter 4, so he purchased passage on a ship headed in the opposite direction. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, he's going to go to the very end of his world, as it were, in order to escape this assignment. The arrow, the first arrow, shows roughly where Jonah was when God spoke to him. The second arrow shows where Nineveh was in present-day Iraq. 
And then this is his destination on the western edge of the Mediterranean Sea, 2,000 miles farther than he would have gone to get to Nineveh. However, he didn't get very far. A storm put an end to his running away, and a great fish saved his life. After the fish deposited Jonah on a beach, God gave him a second chance. And this time he obeyed, and he went to Nineveh. Yet he doesn't show much enthusiasm as he goes through Nineveh. Uh, he didn't put much effort into it. He delivered a five-word sermon in Hebrew. You can count the words there on the screen. Um, five words in Hebrew was the entirety of his sermon. And he may have only preached at one time. Uh, the text doesn't make it clear. He said, the text says that Nineveh was a bit large enough, you had to walk three days to get across it. He said he walked, he walked about one day and then preached a sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, in spite of what looks like a half-hearted effort on the prophet's part, the Ninevites repented. All of them, from the highest to the lowest, they repented. Now, a lot of people stumble over the book of Jonah because of the miracle of a big fish swallowing Jonah and Jonah surviving and coming out intact and going back to work. That's not the big miracle in the book. This is the big miracle in the book, that this entire city repented with the preaching of a 15-second message? That's amazing. That's God. In chapter 4, Jonah throws a temper tantrum. The Hebrew word that describes him is simply hot. He is burning with anger. Our pew Bible goes easy on Jonah and, and says, he became very angry. That's not the image you get from the Hebrew. This guy is red hot with anger. And in his anger, he left Nineveh and he went and sat on a hill to see what would happen. Now, generally in Iraq, most of the year, the temperature's around, anybody want to guess? 43. That's pretty hot. Doesn't get that hot here, fortunately. Imagine what it would be like sitting on a hill just waiting for something to happen, and it's 43 degrees. He needs some shade. So Jonah built himself, out of what we don't know, sticks, twigs, whatever he could find, a little bit of a shelter so he could get some shade. But he felt justified in his anger, and he decides to give God a piece of his mind. He says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Well, Jonah was right about God's nature. He knew it well. He essentially repeated what God said to Moses on the mountain when Moses received the Ten Commandments from God and where God describes himself this way, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But Jonah understood God's character, compassion, grace, love, forgiveness, 
mercy. Jonah knew that. And at the same time, he hated the Ninevites. And he was angry. He expected God to be merciful to God's people, to the Israelites, but not to their enemies. His anger was so hot that he decided he'd rather be dead than see God's mercy extended to the Ninevites. It's basically a full-blown temper tantrum. Then like a parent, a gentle parent, God asked him a question. Is it right for you to be angry? Or Jonah, is, is, is this really what you want to be, the kind of person you want to be? And then like a good parent, Jonah was left alone to think about the answers to those questions. Now, there's a word in the book of Jonah that we need to notice. Graham alluded to it, I think, last Sunday. And it's the word prepared. God prepared. We see this old painting here that, that, that kind of depicts the whole story. You see the ship that he takes to Tarsus. You see Nineveh. You see the storm. Uh, you see Jonah after the people have repented, waiting for something to happen. But, but I want you to think about the word prepared. First, God prepared a great fish to rescue Jonah. You can see the head of the fish, I think, there. Yeah, barely, and the tail of the fish. So God prepared a, a great fish. That was God's doing. Then he prepared a vine to give the prophet shade. He liked that. He was happy with that. Gave him relief from the heat of the sun, and it was something else to look at. It was green and alive. And then God prepared a worm. Now, I don't know if you can see in the picture, but there's in the gourd a hole where the worm went in. So you don't see the worm, but you see the hole. So God prepared a worm, and it killed the vine. Now, Jonah's just getting more angry by the minute. He's getting hotter with his anger. But God wasn't done. Jonah wasn't hot enough yet. So God prepared, fourth time the word shows up in, in the book, God prepared a hot wind. It's one of those hot winds that blows north out of Africa, or in this case, north out of Saudi Arabia. And the only word to describe it is brutal. So you take your 43 degrees Celsius and you add to it a strong, hot, dry wind, and it's like sitting at the entrance of a blast furnace. Now Jonah's really angry. He's angry, he's, he's angry like this character from one of the Pixar movies, one of my favorite movies, by the way. And again, God gently asked him a question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Third time in the book that he wants to be dead. Um, for him, that's a preferable option than what he's putting up with. What God says next to Jonah appears to be the point of the entire book. The only point, really, of the entire book. It's God's prophetic message. It's a statement and a question, and I'd like us to pay very, pay very careful attention to these words. 
But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it nor make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals? The right from the left is just speaking of those who, for reasons of age or some kind of mental disability, aren't morally culpable. They can't tell right from wrong. 120,000 of the children or, or disabled people in this community. God says, is it not right to care about them? So the book ends with God asking Jonah a question. Now, based on what you've seen so far, how do you think Jonah responded to the question? Not well, probably. But according to Jewish tradition, he did respond well. Uh, the, the tradition is that he fell on his face in humility and prayed, Lord, govern your world according to the measure of mercy, as it is said to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Who wrote the book of Jonah? We don't know. But I think it was Jonah himself, because there's too much detail in there about what Jonah was thinking and feeling and doing. So I think Jonah wrote the book. Now, remember when I mentioned earlier that we have this self-awareness that lets us know that we're sinners, that we're, we've missed the mark? I think Jonah was beginning to find that kind of self-awareness. And, and hanging with me, I'm, I'm going to explain to you why I believe that. I want to look at three statements from the book of Jonah that revolve around the Hebrew word for evil. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Nineveh's evil had been seen by God. Uh, chapter 3, verse 10, the last verse of chapter 3, Nineveh turned from its evil. Chapter 4, verse 1, uh, the beginning of chapter 4, next verse, it was evil to Jonah with great evil. That's a literal translation. Four times you see the word evil in the book. Nineveh was evil. Nineveh repented of the evil. Jonah was evil. He wasn't just angry, according to that description. He was evil. The NIV says to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. Again, we're letting him off the hook a little bit. If Jonah did indeed write this book, then that third statement shows that Jonah had looked into his own heart and confronted the reality that he was in the very same category as the Ninevites. He was no different from them. And he deserved as much justice or punishment as they deserved. Now, if that were the case, then we can imagine him falling on his face and saying, God, govern your world in mercy. Now, the fact that the book ends with a question suggests that God's reaching out to us through this story. And I think we have to face some difficult questions. You can write them down if you want as we go through them. Number one, do I truly know and believe that I need mercy as much as the next person? There we go, one more time. Do I truly know and believe that I need mercy? Am I willing to see God's mercy extended to those who are my enemies? Or do I only want God to be merciful to people I like? Am I like Jonah? Are there some people who I don't want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with because I don't want to see them find peace and forgiveness? 
Am I willing to love my enemies as Jesus commanded? Jesus who said, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Another journalist, we've quoted two journalists already, might as well go for three, uh, the best. Chesterton said, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. I left out part of the quote. The Bible tells us to love our enemies, also to love our neighbors, because probably, because they are generally the same people. I'm going to ask one more question. Why have I gotten off so easily in my own life? Why have I not paid more for my sins? I've wondered that a lot as I've gotten older. I've looked at things that I've done or not done that have appalled me. Why have I not been punished more severely? But we all know the answer, don't we? Because of God's mercy. Let us pray. Father, you are merciful, and you do not give to us what we deserve, but you lavish your mercy upon us. Teach us, in turn, to be merciful. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.